Happy Thursday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. Uh, I'm a solo again. Frank is still in Idaho, but uh, and he'll be a little bit depressed probably. Um, we have uh, Bill with Iron Will Broadheads on today, and uh, Frank's a big fan of the Broadheads, so he'll probably be pissed off I did this, but we can always do another one later. Uh, Bill, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aaron. Good morning, and uh, I'll just stop by and talk to Frank sometime. At your shop, I know he's out with the uh, the Mormon mafia um, doing uh, uh, doing a bear hunt with uh, Jordan Cower and Matt Davis. Um, so yeah, I, I I wanted to knock these out. Kind of, I hate to say strike while the iron's hot, but um, there's been a ton of talk about uh, you know broadheads uh, front of center. Um, you know, and it's arrow speed, short broadheads, wide, long, three blade, two blade. And, uh, you know, I, I, we, I guess we say we don't really, as you know, um, probably at a frustrating point, we really don't take sides or use one specific product. You know, we try to test everything so we can speak intelligently about, you know, all the different options and, uh, you know, your head's one. I've killed, I think I've killed six animals with your heads, um, or four, a few. Um, I blew the leg bone in half on a black bear recently. That really wasn't a killing shot, but it certainly blew the leg apart. Um, so, I mean, tell us, um, you're going to be pretty well known as far as uh, obviously the, the head, but tell us a little bit more about the the backstory, I guess, and then some of the components, the the technology behind it, things like that. So people understand it. It is a relatively expensive broadhead uh, for those people listening. Um, you make a vented and a solid version. I, I killed an antelope with it. Um, well, the second shot on the antelope, um, my mountain goat, I think I killed with it, um, shot several does and, uh, might've shot a buck with it as well with the, the iron wheel head. But, uh, what I mean? I think, what are they about 90 for three? Is that correct? Yeah. About a hundred bucks, 99, 95 for three. Right. And, uh, yeah, let me first say that I really appreciate the feedback I get from you. I know when I give you, um, or if you get some broadheads from me, you're going to, uh, you can let me know what you think, you know, good or bad. And uh, I do appreciate that for sure. So yeah, a little bit of the history. This all started, I'd been an engineer for years, um, been doing product development. So in college, I had quite a few material science classes, learned about metals, steels, um, heat treating, what that can do to really improve a product. Um, and then went on to be a development engineer for many years. And, and bow hunting was my passion. Moved to Colorado about 20 years ago now. You know, elk hunting was started out pretty difficult with a bow compared to the whitetail hunting I was used to. After a few years, I finally got got a good shot at a nice bull and um, hit a little too far forward, hit the shoulder blade or back edge of the shoulder bone, and uh, just got really poor penetration. Uh, never found the animal. Um, really bothered me. I'd worked so hard to get that opportunity, and it was almost perfect, and then I lost that bull. Anyway, I just decided at that point, I'm going to use my engineering skills to find a better broadhead. Really, really initially, I was just going to, you know, research, analyze, test, find the best broadhead out there. So I spent a couple of years doing that. That was a 2004 to 2006 timeframe, probably. Bought a lot of broadheads, started saving um, shoulder blades of, of elk and, you know, hide meat on them and shooting through things like that. And what I found with every one is there was there's something I didn't like about each one. And, and in general, a lot of my concern was the materials. They were just using very, very cheap materials. You know, to sell a broadhead retail 
for 10 to 13 bucks. That manufacturer can only put a, th- a few dollars really into the materials and manufacturing process. So you can't do a lot with that. You're, you're, you're using low-end blade steels, aluminum or soft steel ferrules. And at that point, I decided I'd be better off just um, designing engineering one for myself. And started this, you know, several year process of, of doing that. Gotcha. Now I know in my um, history of shooting tons of different broadheads, there's the the me of you know several years ago of the um, I don't know muzzy whatever they were eighty five grain four blade from from Walmart for thirty bucks or whatever they were aluminum ferrule um, relatively thin blades. Uh, you know, I hate to say disposable, but pretty much a disposable broadhead. It's kind of a one and done thing. Shooting into, you know, you can get some several shots into a um, broadhead target, you know, and be okay. But you know, if you um, going through an animal, you generally one and done. Um, and that was kind of the, right. you know, the the thought process I had behind it. And then, you know, as time went on, I shot a bunch of mechanicals. Um, through that time, um, you know, several different animals, heads, and everything else, it got to me where I had just the, you know, it's kind of stuck in my head. Broadheads were just a disposable piece of material. It was a tool. I used it and I threw it away. You know, including um, I never reused, uh, to, you know, targets going into the pro- into the in, or excuse me, broadheads going into the target. You know, for the most part, especially with a mechanical, right. I had the sets of mechanical heads that would go into the target and I would never shoot those in an animal. Uh, but one thing you will find, and I think a lot of people listening w- will agree, um, those even going into targets break frequently. Like, um, right. even when you lock in, which is a little bit scary to think about, but even when you lock the blades in and you just have the little, you know, arms sticking out or whatever, those portions will break. Um, I know there's two different mechanicals that I've shot uh, quite a bit of that you got two or three shots uh, where where it actually opened, uh, you know, where I had it I had it set to like it would be going through an animal, and I got maybe two or three targets into a Reinhardt, and those blades would break off, um, you know, so fairly weak, and actually those got even shittier to be honest with you over time and those and some I don't even promote or talk about anymore and then I got into the you know fast forward the traditional side where you know you learn to sharpen a broadhead you're shooting a fixed blade head and but you know in all this time you know for for me and for most people I don't think people take into consideration okay how sharp is it out of the package you know okay that's pretty sharp okay how quick does it dull going through an animal okay what if the the hide's muddy as hell what if you know whatever all the different what if it's got super thick hide what if it hits a rib bone on the way in how much is that affecting penetration um on the way through it if it does hit a fairly beefy part of let's say the the meaty part of the scapula and the scapula is that dulling it enough to um you know, slow down the penetration, hinder the penetration, things like that. And then, of course, on my end, I'm kind of um, unique. I was pumping out 80, 90 pounds with a five, 600 grain arrow. So some of that was a moot point where, you know, the, the, the light popped on for me was when I started helping a lot of other people hunting where their bows were 60, 65, even 70 pounds with maybe too light of arrows or even just moderately weighted arrows where when things were good, they were good. 
but they were only good until they weren't good. And when they weren't good is when they didn't hit perfectly, which is kind of what you're describing. With all of your testing and you know, just so everybody knows, Bill is one of the smarter men I know and a very anal retentive dude. And so I know your testing is is probably more OCD than it even needs to be. What did you find with all of that? And, and how does your head perform, you know, in those different scenario situations? How easy is it to swap blades? Do you need to? How are they easy to sharpen? And how much of a difference does it make being able to hold, you know, keep the blade sharpness or retention, whatever you want to call it, when it first right. penetrates the animal. Yeah, so I think you're right. A lot of people still have that mindset that um, broadheads are disposable and they're not concerned if it fails. Um, you know, if it went through an animal and, and they recover and it's all broken or bent, um, they're not concerned. Um, as long as they get the animal, they were happy. But the thing is, when did that fail? Um, and if you, a lot of the broadheads I'm seeing that once they go through hide, you know, if I zoom these up to, two, 300 X, that edge is gone through the hide. <clears throat> I did a test recently where I just pushed through hide an inch of foam on a bunch of broadheads and measured the force and looked at the edges. Um, so if it goes through, say hide and a rib, there's not much, there's probably no edge left on a lot of the broadheads out there. Um, so at that point, you're not slicing the tissue as much as you're just kind of tearing it or pushing it aside. So, you hear a lot of stories about I got a perfect placement, double long shot in the, in the elk, you know, one a long ways or lived a long time. Well, it's probably because your blades weren't sharp and weren't slicing, cutting. So that's one of the things I, um, you know, initially I was really going for max penetration through an elk um, to be able to go through bone and, and not bend or break. Um, and then I started really working on the sharpness because um, I realized what an opportunity that was. If I have if I have an edge that's extremely sharp and stays sharp through bone, hide everything, all the way through the animal, all of a sudden you're getting a lot more bleeding, better blood trails, um, and the animals are going down in sight. You know, they're going down a lot faster. So the heat treat is key to that, having the right material, right heat treat. So we use an A2 tool steel, and we have um, a hardness of about 60 Rockwell C. So... Now, hold on one sec. Just <laughs> I'm trying to do a good job. When I know what it means, that doesn't mean everybody knows what it means. So I'm trying to do a good job of educating here. Explain what the, the Rockwell or, or the hardness, and then can you place, explain to the best of your ability, like you said A2, uh, most people are familiar with D2 tool steel because there's a lot of knives made out of D2. Can you give just a, a brief explanation of that so people kind of understand where you're coming from? Sure. Yeah, there's, so there's a family of tool steels that are, are not, they're non-stainless. And if, if you're trying to get a high hardness and high impact strength, you really don't want stainless steel. It's not a very good metal for it. Um, that's, you know, hammers aren't made of stainless steel um, because you can't get high, high hardness and high impact strength. So A2, so D2 tool steel is, is a great knife steel. You can get it very hard, about 60 Rockwell C. Also, you can get it excellent. So that high hardness um, so hardness is uh, measured by putting a little dent in the surface. So it's basically the compressive strength of the steel at the surface. And um, hardness and stencil uh, strength um, vary together. So a 50, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, uh, a 50 Rockwell C is maybe around 200 KSI stress, and a 60 is around 300 or something like that. So quite a bit higher strength. Um, but the hardness of the surface is, is key for getting a 
really sharp edge. So when the edge is that sharp, you can um, you can grind it. We do a three-stage grind where our final stage is a super fine honing. And if you start with that high hardness, you can get an extremely sharp edge. And we zoom ours up to about 200x to uh, check it, and it still looks dead sharp. Where most blades made of, um, you know, 50 to 55 rock, we'll see even, are going to look rounded at that. Um, so A2 tool steel is used um, quite a bit in metal stamping dies, metal punches. So it's used to cut other metals. Um, and the reason it's used for that is because you can get it, you can get the high hardness. So high hardness also gives you your edge retention. So if it's a stamping die, you don't want that die to wear out in five punches. You know, you want it to last a million. Um, so you've got to have it pretty hard to keep that edge to cut the metal. Um, but A2 is pretty unique in that you can get this high impact strength along with the high hardness. The other thing that's key to that is really heat treat. So choosing the right metals, about half, you're about halfway there, I think, and then the rest is the heat treat. So we do a, this cryogenic treatment, and what that does is uh, in the hardening process, um, let me know if I'm getting too technical here, but you start with this austenite microstructure, you quench it down, it turns to martensite, which is really hard, strong steel material. But you get these little pockets of austenite, which are still soft spots in the steel. By dropping it down way, way below zero and holding it there, you, you transform all that into martensite. So it's all uniform, very hard, very strong. And then you temper it to get the toughness. And um, in talking with knife makers um, over the years, I found doing this triple temper allows you to keep that really high hardness and increase your um, toughness on every, every draw. So a, a temper is you bring it back up to a certain temperature for a certain time. When you do that repeatedly, you can get um, really high toughness. So nobody else is doing this because it's, it's a, a long, costly you know, process. But my goal here was to engineer the best broadheads possible, really for my own use, my friends and family, and then I you know, decided to launch it and, and sell them. But I've tried to make all the decisions for what would make the very best uh, performing product and then hope people will, will buy it at, at what it costs to make it. You know, that's really why it... Uh, Cost what it does is the materials manufacturing processes that went into it are just very costly compared to the typical one you're going to buy retail. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think, I mean, this kind of information is important for for me, for people to to understand. Um, you know, and you know, and not to break it down or whatever, pimp out something like a Kafaru, for example. But when you look at from the outside looking in, you know, broadheads a broadhead, packs a pack, boots or boots. But there's a lot more that goes into it than, you know, just it going on someone's back, just it going on the end of an arrow or just it going on your foot. Um, and kind of breaking down the whole process, I, I think, is important for people to understand whether it's your head or any head so they know, you know, kind of what they're getting into. You know, what are they spending their money on? And and, and Frank and I have gotten in, well, not debates, but, you know, as, as Frank is – uh, screwing around with a lot of this different stuff he just didn't have the ability to to play with before. Um, a lot of it he has kind of seen well, like, um, you know, for example, I, I shot that, that bear recently, and um, I, I actually hit it, you know, in the spirit of total candor, um, with a different company's broadhead, the first shot, and the second shot, well, when the first shot, it was actually the third and fourth shot, but the fourth shot... I had uh, all these different heads I was trying to test, right? And um, right. your broadhead was the one that I sh hit it with, um, you know, after the first couple misses, third shot was a hit, fourth shot was another hit. It was raising its leg up, and I actually hit the forearm bone. 
Um, and I and I blew it in half. Uh, it was actually the only arrow I, I found because the rest of them either missed or it went through. But it hit it dead center and it, and it broke it in half, um, went inside of the body uh, cavity a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe eight, ten inches of penetration after I, you know, blew the leg apart. But I could still shave with it when I when I um, got the when I pulled it back out. It was still sharp. I touched it up with one of those little hand sharpener things on the one side, but one of the sides of the head you could shave with. The other side you couldn't, but it was still super sharp. There was no. I call it chinking, but there was no chips out of it. I don't know what the technical term is right. for that. Um, but, you know, having shot four million other types of broadheads, you know, most of them would have bent, broken, or, uh, you know, chipped or whatever. And, and again, this isn't, you know, people listening, this isn't a uh, uh, necessarily like a sales pitch for Iron Will, right? It's a sales pitch for good quality components in steel, which I'm learning more and more about. And with your head, that was a prime example of I found it. I can, I mean, I screwed it on to go shoot another bear with it the next day, you know, and, and I was trying to test a bunch of different heads. But that was like, you know, a big eye opener for Frank where he's like, Jesus. That's amazing, right? Where he had been shooting a couple different mechanicals um, in the previous year that were pretty much disposable, and a lot of them you couldn't shoot the target more than a few times. So it is important, and I think it's important for people to know, especially the amount of pain in the ass is to, to get it to where it's at. Right. You know, I've, I exceeded my expectations there. I, I was really wanted to get something that wouldn't break and would make it through, say, the shoulder bone of, a, of an elk and, um, and penetrate far enough to you know, cut through the vitals. Um, and I was amazed that once we got to this high of hardness and we really re- refined our, our sharpening, you know, we've probably 10 times sharper than we were when I started on this. Um, and with that high hardness, it stays sharp. You know, I shot my bear this year and I shot uh, about a month ago. I hit, I cut the back edge of the near side shoulder and I cut the leg bone um, on the far side and I wasn't sure which side hit what, but um, I could I could shave with that broadhead, no problem. Didn't see any nicks in it, and it would still spin true. So, I mean, not only can you reuse them, sometimes you don't even have to resharpen them. I think that's especially true if it's like behind the shoulder and you're just hitting a rib or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and I actually have this little. I think it's from WorkSharp or Benchmade or I don't know who makes it. Anyway, I've got a couple. Um, just little handheld. Uh, deal that has a little v in it you know for redneck explanation and i just kind of run it down the you know the blade and that's what i did with yours um on the uh this side that i think that that hit the meatier part of the bone i guess and and that you know just kind of touched it up and, and that sharpened it right back up now you offer um one you offer 100 vented and 125 solids on up like so what are your what are some of the different offerings you have for, for weights and, and vented and solid? For the vented blade, we go from 100 grains up to 200 grains. And then in the solid, with solid blade or no vents in the blade, we go from 125 grains up to 225, um, every every 25 grains. So you can shoot the solid blade in you know, 125, 150, 175, 200, 225. So that's our, that's our current offerings. And we also do a deep six version in the vented at 100 and 125 and at the solid blade at 125 and 150 uh, deep six. Although I haven't found somebody that makes a uh, field point for a 150 grain deep six yet. So we probably have to come up with those uh, as well. Yeah, that deep system, uh, deep six system, in my opinion, is a way to, um, uh, I, I, 
Well, I'll just say it. I think it's a horrible system. It's a pain in the butt. Um, I think it's a good idea. It's a good concept. And I think, you know, as far as penetration goes, obviously, you know, just, you know, with taking uh, everything out of the equation and just using common sense and a little bit of of, uh, science, a smaller arrow is going to go through an animal easier than a bigger one. It is just an, it's kind of like having a 6.5 Creedmoor and needing to buy ammo because you lost your ammo when you show up. You're not going to find 6.5 Creed Morph, you know, where the, and it's kind of the same with Deep Six. It is a pain in the ass to find component or broadheads and points for uh, the Deep Six system. Not, not to say that people shouldn't shoot it. Obviously, a lot of people like it. I just think, you know, know what you're getting into beforehand, uh, just because it is a little bit of a, of a pain. And I mean, it's good that you offer a Deep Six broadhead because not many people do um there's not a whole lot of offerings out there for that now now your head obviously anybody can google it and see it but it's basically a a double bevel two blade with uh well it's a four blade but double bevel two blade and then you've got two bleeder blades um coming off the side what's uh what's the width on those uh as far as the standard double bevel and then what do you got how big are the bleeders yeah so the main blade is an inch and a sixteenth wide and the bleeder blade is a uh, three quarter inch wide and um they're both made of the same same steel same processes they're both 62,000 thick um a2 tool steel and what i found through testing is that i mean this, this is probably obvious but the wider you are um it's going to decrease penetration and it's not going to fly as well so to me this this is kind of the sweet spot of it's wide enough um you know total cut is is a little over 1.8 inches um between the two blades and with that cross cut, you know, initially I didn't have the bleeder blade. I just had the, a main blade and they penetrate, you know, like crazy, but occasionally we get risk of really poor blood trail. Um, I just think that one slice through can just sometimes close up. And since we added that three quarter inch wide bleeder blade, making a cross cut, now you get this, um, you know, open hole going through, um, it just stays open and, and you're adding three quarters inch cut. So you're, you're bleeding more as well, but the blood trails have greatly improved from doing that. And, you know, some guys want a big wide two inch cut or inch and a half cut. Um, I don't think you need that. I, I think, I think people have had four blood trails on, on broadhead, say at an inch and a quarter or something. And they think, Oh, I need a wider cut. Well, you probably just need a blade to stay sharp. You know, your broadhead probably, didn't stay sharp through the hide in the rib and maybe made it out the other side, but there's not a, there's not a lot of bleeding going on if your blades are dull. So anyway, I often say why, you know, have to explain why is it this size, but I think talk to the people that have used it and they've, they've been deadly, um, good blood trails, animals dropping quickly. Um, so that, that's been my experience. You know, I'd started out too. This was uh, a little wider, a little longer when I started, um, and also when I tested a lot of two blades, what I found is often, often you'd break the tip. That would be the weak point if you have got a big, long blade sticking out. Um, and then you'd have issues with planing. And so I, I brought that tip back in, put the, the console-style tip on there. So it's a second angle. Um, it, you know, it's 40 degrees most of the way, and then it's 80 um, or 44 most of the way, 80 at the end. And that really adds a lot of strength, and it shortens up the blade. And by doing that, um, they fly a lot better. And I think they also actually penetrate better. I think that reduced surface area um, seems to help. At least it certainly doesn't hurt. And it adds a lot of strength to it. Gotcha. Being, you know, 
as upfront about this as I I can. We're talking about longer. You mentioned longer broadheads a second ago. I'm actually, I get you're on first. Obviously, you're the first of the the chain of broadhead makers. Um, So we got you on here, and then I've actually got um, Ashby coming on. Believe it or not, um, on the seventh. Yeah, can you believe that shit? That should go over well, considering I've never read anything he's written. And uh, I'd love to sit in on that and, and ask him some questions. But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, and I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you know how Frank and I roll. We're we we just want people to learn, right? You, I think these products speak well for themselves. You know, obviously yours, uh, the Valkyrie system. Um, you know, with with Ashby, obviously it's the Grizzly Stick. Uh, Garrett and 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 Ashby are going to come on on the seventh and. You know, my thing is, is you get everybody has their um, opinion on all of these different um, three blade, long, short, two blade, bleeder blade, you know, what type of metal. And, you know, I think it's good with people that have put a lot of animals on the ground to speak about these things, whatever head that's, you know, tickles their fancy. Um, the guys that haven't really shot anything with them and, um, or, or, or don't have the knowledge, you know, even if you haven't shot. I mean, you know, if you handed me your broadhead from day one, I could look at it and be like, yeah, that's pretty solid broadhead. Shoot some groups with it. Speak intelligently about it enough to where I can kind of gain some info as I'm putting holes through animals. Um, but what I don't like is is when you don't have i really like getting guys like you on here that can go through the beginning to end concept why you did it the way you did it what went into it uh and kind of go from there now you are not a firm believer from when we haven't talked that much about this but from what i understand in the longer um heads that, that that ashby has promoted as well as some of the other companies um talk a little bit about your findings with that and what your thought process is with it yeah i think um historically there was this three to one um number that you know three times as long as it was wide so if you had an inch wide you'd be three inches long um you know i think that gives you kind of a good mechanical advantage if is if you think of it as a kind of a wedge going into there but um I'm not saying they don't work. The negative is that when they're that long, they're you're going to have more surface area. You're going to it's not going to fly as well, um, and it's not going to be as strong. So, you know, beam strength is is proportional to the length cubed. So, if you're um, you know twice twice as long, uh, you're going to be you know a lot weaker in strength. So, bringing that tip back, and I think I think Ashby also found that. Um, a very strong tip was was very important because if you start bending or breaking things as you're penetrating, you just used up all your energy and you're not going to penetrate very well. So the the Tonto tip, um, I believe he he said that was a big improvement to those to those longer, um, you know, three inch long broadheads as well. But you know, ours is only about an inch and a quarter long, and you know, so there's a trade off. I think that the shorter broadhead is a lot stronger. Um, you know, I'm trying to penetrate through bone. Um, stay sharp and really have zero damage to the broadhead. So, and I also want to, to fly really well. So, you know, I love hunting elk, but I also like hunting mule deer and um, mule deer. It seems like 55 yards has been my average shot. Um, I think of the last six or seven I shot, they were, I got one at 40, but most, for the most part, they were 50 to 65 yards. Just seems to be how close I can uh, typically get to a mule deer, I guess. 
so I want it to be able to fly well at long at long range. So to me, that's that's why I don't want to go with a, a really long broadhead. We can get it the front of center thing too uh, if you want, but I've tried to design a broadhead that can fly well and penetrate well with um, more of like a standard arrow setup. So a guy can have you know 12, 14, 12 to 14 or 12 to 15 percent, and still have them fly really well and get great penetration. You know, Brent from Valkyrie, I, you know, I think he's he's doing a great job. He's trying to make the best um, broadhead setup you can. Um, I'm going to talk to that guy. I think he's doing a good job with that center pin, adding good strength. Um, I heard his podcast the other day, and he said that you know he likes like 30 percent FLC, and he gets down below 20 or so, and his groups open up. Well, I don't. I want it to you know shoot well, and it does. It it it's say, you know, down to even 12%. Guys want to be shooting that low. Now, higher FOC can give you more penetration. It's like, uh, you know, throwing a rock with a string on it. That arrow doesn't, if all the weights in the head, it's going to drive through with less flexing in the arrow as you go. But I mean, you're also trying to push that rock through that string when you launch it off your bow. So you need a much stiffer arrow, you know, heavier weight. And then so you're going to get more drop. And there's kind of a, a trade-off there if you're trying to shoot distance of having too heavy of a setup that drops too much. You know, if I see an animal walk out under 50 yards, I don't want to range it. You know, I want to eyeball range it and shoot it. And if I'm off a few yards, I want it to still you know, hit the vitals. So I don't want my arrow speed to be too low and, and arrow weight to be too high, you know, for, for say mule deer, um, elk, things like that. It's kind of weird. Like I have had much better luck in that, you know, I don't know, whatever rounding, you know, up and down average of 13% FOC with a compound and with a trad bow have had better luck higher. Now, I'm not an expert in in any and all things, but I mean, I have a decent grasp. And I think when I say have had the best luck, what I mean by that is when we're talking about everything, that is grouping, speed, ease of tune, and piling through an animal. Um, if I get above, um, you know, a certain percentage in FOC, this is with a compound, I get below where I'm comfortable with my arrow flying because I've gotten so used to the, the cast or the, the arc of the arrow, the trajectory. Um, you know, you get used to that and you feel one, it may just be mental, warm and fuzzy because that's what you're used to. But two is, is over, you know, overhanging branches and limbs you know, for it, you get used to that. And, and over time, especially if you shoot a bow between 265 to 280, 85 feet per second, you know, you get used to that. Um, also, like judging, when you talk about pin gapping, um, you get used to that speed. You know that if an elk comes out and I'm not sure if it's 30 or 40, I'm like, all right, I'm going to put my 40-yard pin on its heart because at the very least, if I'm off on yardage and it's actually 30, I know I'm going to catch the the top third of the lung where then you 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 know you you throw a monkey wrench in it and you've got a super slow bow now because you've went 20 plus FOC and just by by nature your arrow is going to shoot slower when you do that um you know that throws things off so there's a comfort level so when I say that that doesn't mean I wouldn't shoot as good of groups with a higher FOC or, or, or maybe a little bit better, but I'm talking about the total package, which is what J- uh, John Dudley and I did a podcast. We've done a couple recently trying to explain that is it's not that you may not get as good of groups or, or maybe even better with a compound, but it's what you want. We actually had a guy uh, comment and say, well, if I'm happy shooting 220 feet per second and I'm shooting good groups and you know so on and so forth, 
why not? It's like, well, no, go ahead. If that's what you're comfortable with, there's nothing, I don't think anything wrong. If you want to shoot 25% FOC out of a compound, go ahead. But for most people, I would say the standards average speed is probably, I don't know, 270 feet per second out of a compound, you know, averaging everyone in from Goliaths that have, you know, knuckles dragged the ground down to midgets that have a 20, you know, six inch draw length, not midgets. I'm just kidding. Please don't get sending me hate mail. Shorter people. <laughs> but with a stick bow, it's a different um, dynamic. You know, you're shooting a whopping 165 to 185 feet per second. You know, obviously there's some bows that are faster. Um, you're relying um, um, a lot more on stocking ability, right, than you are on shooting any distance. I mean, a 40-yard shot with a stick bow is a poke. Well, that is you know, an average shot, if, if, if anything, on a compound. And so different dynamics. And I prefer heavier front of center on a stick bow, not crazy heavy. I don't, I don't go up to that 30% range, but I have a base platform with a stick bow. I want to be my point on around 38 to 40 yards. I want my arrow to weigh 580 to 600 grains. And, and I, I would like my speed to be close to 180 feet per second, the speed being the least important part. Well, if you do that, you know, when you increase that point weight, you have to shoot a stiffer spined arrow. Um, otherwise, it just won't fly. As you're shooting a stiffer spined arrow, you're shooting a heavier arrow. So no matter what, when you get into that super heavy FOC, your arrow is going to be pretty heavy. And so it's not, for me, you can't look at both identical. You can't look at the compound and the um, stick bow the same way when you're talking about arrow weight. I've, after yeah, I've just, I totally agree there. I was say rambled on for five I minutes. I totally agree. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, I totally agree there. They're just two different animals. And my comments are on compound bows. You know, I shot a, a recurve from age four to 13, and I think I switched to a compound bow then, and I've been shooting compound bow for the last 35. So that's really what I know about is compound bows, and it's, it's, it's just different. Um, so I'm no expert in, in stick bows. Um, you know, I'm learning more. I've got a couple I'm shooting, but I, I more or less go to the experts there and say, Hey, what do you guys want for a broadhead and, and head weight and things like that? So, you know, my comments with arrow weight, um, FOC, uh, they're all kind of geared around compound shooters. I'm, I'm not an expert either, but I pretend to be one on a podcast, but no, I mean, I think that you're, you're right. I mean, when people are, are discussing this, it's, it's good to know my thoughts on it are different with a compound than a, than a traditional bow. And a lot of that is just, if a guy comes up and says, I don't care what speed I shoot with a compound, totally different, you know, rub, I mean, rub some punk on it, shoot whatever you want. I mean, if you don't mind shooting 230 feet per second, you probably can, pretty easily get to 330% FOC. It won't matter if you're shooting a 250 spine arrow with 300 grains up front or, or whatever it is, because um, speed is is not a, um, a variable you need to take into consideration. Now, on the penetration testing, um, and that's something I get questions on way more than I want to deal with. When we talked about earlier, like with the, the Ashby theory, the three to one ratio, the longer heads, um, you know, the deflection or, or lack of deflection, um, they say that you'll get with that longer, longer type head, which actually is like what Valkyrie has, super long head. You, you, there is obviously when all the different heads are designed, right? Everybody, the, 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 the creator, obviously you being the creator at Iron Will, have their own collection of thoughts from their past and previous experiences as well as your friends and everything else 
what has your testing shown? Like, what was something maybe that was just a giant, like, wow, factor? Like, when you, because you do very scientific testing, there's not a lot of redneck testing going on at the Iron Will shop. When you were doing the testing, like, through the hide the other day and some of your other, was there anything that popped out um, that surprised you from what maybe the standard thought of the industry is to what you found during your testing um, at any time? Yeah, there's, there's a few things there. Um, you know, the recent testing was just pushing through a hide. Um, I, I took a bunch of broadheads. I think I had 11 or so where I just pushed them through a, a tan deer hide that had hair on it and about an inch of uh, kind of medium foam behind it. And so a couple pushes through. And what I was, what I was looking for there is um, I know over the years that our sharpness has improved. Our penetration has improved also on, on animals in the field. We did a lot of hunting with this for many years. Um, I think we took 50 animals with the, with the final design before we released it. And what we saw is the penetration was, you know, we've been like full length on an elk. It was just, it was, we exceeded expectations. And my thought there was that this extremely sharp edge is reducing the force to penetrate. You know, the energy equals force times distance. So you've got this kinetic energy of the arrow and you get some energy losses at impact, but you know, whatever um, useful energy is left there, it's going to be converted to a, a force over a distance. So if your force is low to cut through, you know, if your force is half so to cut through, you're going to go twice as far. And that's what I saw in the, in the penetration testing is that pushing these um, cheaper broadheads through, that the, the edges were either rolling over or they were kind of mushrooming out. And um, I posted some pictures on Instagram of that. And what surprised me is like some of these two blades that were, that were long, you know, or closer to that, two and a half to one probably ratio, um, skinny blades, and they start out pretty sharp. And I thought, well, the force will be low on these, but the blade's not very thick. So if you really hit a bone, it wouldn't work very well. But what surprised me is that the force wasn't very low on those either. I mean, it started out kind of low and then it, and then it went way up. So that was a bit of a surprise is that these edges, when they don't stay sharp, really increase the force and don't penetrate as well as they would. And what we saw, what I saw on average, um, our force, to penetrate just through that hide and inch of foam was a, about half of what the other broadheads out there. And there's a big gap between ours and the, and the next one. So I think a lot of people don't think about that. They're, they're going for higher energy, or if you just want to talk momentum, that's a better kind of direct measurement of how much penetration you're getting. So change of momentum is equal to force times time. Um, so your momentum you know, ends up at zero when you stop. So whatever momentum mass times velocity you have of your arrow, when it hits, it's going to translate into a certain force for a certain time. So decreasing that force um, by half, you know, that arrow is going to push through there twice as long. So um, anyway, that's what I think a lot of people don't think about is, especially if you have a lower energy setup or a lower momentum, you need to shoot a broadhead that has a low force to penetrate. So that should be a cut on contact head where the edges stay sharp and, and push through. And just to comment on that, a lot of the cut on contact heads I was testing, that was really the negative is that the the tips weren't very strong. You know, they hit bone and, and bend or break um, or not stay very sharp. So I guess that's, that's one thing that was a, a bit of a surprise and what you don't hear much about out there. The other thing is the single bevel versus double bevel. And that's actually a question I'd like to ask Ashby is, because what I've seen with the single bevel is you get this twisting through, through the animal or through some whatever you're shooting through. 
but that actually reduces penetration because now you're using some of that energy to to twist and torque through there. So to me, it would reduce penetration rather than increase it. The other thing I think he said is that as it goes through bones, it's torquing and breaking out a bigger hole through the bone. And in my testing, a double bevel, single bevel, whatever, it's just breaking this chunk out of the bone as it hits it. It's kind of more of an impact. And maybe that's the difference of me testing compound bows versus Ashby doing thick bows that are going a lot slower, a lot heavier arrows. But um, from what I'm seeing, you know, with our broadhead, it breaks this kind of football-shaped chunk out of the bone, and the whole arrow passes through that. And I don't see an advantage of the single bevel. In fact, I think it's a negative because now it's, it's trying to twist as it goes through, and it, it, it would reduce penetration. So you know, those are a couple of things anyway that I found that I think are kind of different than a lot of the thinking that's out there. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it's like anything you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, you know, and a lot of it, you know, how much does it matter? Where if you're like me and a compound, it probably doesn't matter a whole lot because I'm shooting so much momentum. It, it's probably a moot point to a certain degree, but um, hunting you know, with, um, so, you know, women, uh, younger, uh, kids, or maybe a, an older generation that just can't get the poundage back. I think it's a, a hell of a lot more important. Um, you know, when you're, if, you know, if you're driving a semi truck through a piece of plywood, it, it probably doesn't matter a whole lot if there's, you know, 1800 pounds in the back or 4,000, it's still driving through. But when you're, you know, right. you know, change it. And that's what people really need to look at, especially, you know, I, we get a, a lot of questions with guys shooting, you know, 55, 60, 65 pounds that had been shooting mechanicals because that was the rage. Ha ha. And, uh, you know, watching TV <laughs> shows and, anim- and not getting pass throughs. And then, you know, they'll hear me talk about it where I'm shooting a stick doing 180, blowing through a lot of animals, kind of learning that that cut on contact, you know, head, whether it be single bevel, double bevel, long, short or whatever, might be the way to go to get the penetration they need uh, with the poundage, uh, momentum, KE, whatever, all the stuff that they're at. Um, and I think that that is, is definitely important. And I'm a mechanical guy, as you know. I mean, you've given me not crap about it, but to certainly ask me questions or challenge me on some of my thought process. And, and bottom line, I just shoot a lot of momentum. But I have had those little guys break into pieces, which is bad, right? Uh, you know, and I've had them, you know, a couple times actually destroy on the entrance, which is really bad. So, you know, like, again, everything works great until it doesn't work great. And then you go back to the drawing board and really check yourself and be like, okay, I may have shot 10, 12, 15, 20 animals with this system, but, you know, all that stuff was pretty good shots, pretty perfect shots behind the shoulder, maybe just into the, you know, meaty part right in that triangle. But that one time, let's say you had a vertical shot straight down, shot a little too far forward, you're up in the shoulder, um, you know, or or broadside shot into the shoulder, whatever. That is when you really start to think, okay, what do I need to change? And certainly a very, very sharp, very well-built cut on contact head is the direction you're going to go and end up at. You know, and I mean... I don't know. I mean, how many, uh, as a guess, I mean, how many animals have, um, you know, iron wheels put on the ground since you started, you think? Uh, good question. It's, it's, um, several hundred for sure. Question on, or I guess two comments on mechanicals. One is, um, I want to repeat the force testing and throw a few mechanicals in there because the force is going to go way up to push a mechanical through, say, hide. I'll put a kill um, zone a in there because that a momentum-sucking broadhead. It is horrible to kill momentum, so definitely yeah. throw that in there. So, 
I'm saying that, you know, I was saying an iron wheel might double penetrate another fixed blade, but um, compared to mechanical, it might be a four or five to one. So that opening up that broadhead and then having that wide cut pushing through there. Also, when you're two inches wide or whatever, um, with 100 grain or 125 grain, you got pretty weak materials, pretty thin blades, things like that in order to do that. And there's going to be a lot of distortion bending things as you go through. So you're using up a lot of energy with that as well. And, you know, as a engineer doing product development for 25 years, I found that, um, you know, before we'd launch a product, we'd go through this DFMEA, we called it design failure modes and effects analysis. We try to think about, okay, what are all the things that could go wrong with this product and how do we test, make sure they don't go wrong or design them out basically. And to me with a the mechanical, there's just too many failure modes that can happen. Um, I mean, I think they work great when, when they work great, but, um, you know, they can hang up on a rib or the back edge of a shoulder bone or, or deploy before they get there or not deploy. Um, to me, there's just too many risk factors. And I compare that to a, you know, a, a solid fixed blade that has sharp edges, good steel. But, you know, the only advantage I can see with the mechanical is that it's going to cut wider. And maybe if you are going to miss, miss an organ by a little bit, you're going to now cut it. But I compare that to all the things that could go wrong versus just a sharp fixed blade that's going to slice right through and get and get to that penetration. Um, you know, some guys want to have a big cut and they don't care if they get an exit hole. Well, I disagree with that because if you go halfway through and take out one lung on an elk, it's probably not going to die. At least it's definitely not, for a long time. not going to die unless you hit something else. I've learned that the very hard way. <laughs> they live for a yeah. long time on one lung. And you know, a, a quartering away shot at an elk—that's a long way to go. You know, I know with our broadhead, I shot one. It was a steep quartering away. He was kind of walking through an arc as I shot. And right when the arrow hit, I saw this blood shoot out right at the hip. And I thought, uh-oh, I hit him too far back. But he went, he went 10 yards and dropped. And what happened is the arrow went in there, went all the way up through the heart, and then poked out between the, the brisket and the front shoulder. So it went through, I don't know what that is, four, four and a half feet of elk um, and poked out. And so that penetration and getting the exit hole is is way better than just getting a big entrance hole. Gotcha. No, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said, um, um, you know, with all of those different things and definitely stuff, you know, things that people need to think about. And, um, you know, it's not like I was, um, doing the right things from the day I walked out the door with a bow in my hand. Like you, you know, you, you all learn it's a collective of all your screw ups and successes and failures. And I, I just think that people definitely need to, take into consideration a lot more than just putting a sharp pointy thing on the front of their, you know, their arrow, you know, the size of the animal they're hunting, the distance they can shoot, uh, you know, what your, what your abilities are uh, in the sense of physical, right? If you can shoot heavier poundage, lighter poundage, all those different things. And all that comes into play when you're choosing a broadhead. I mean, that broadhead is what is going to get the job done in the end. And, and it is very important. Um, we're getting close to an hour here. Is there anything else you want to hit that, um, you know, that we haven't touched on? Uh, no, I don't think so. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I feel like it's been, you know, I'm educating a lot of people on what's important. Um, I think sharpness matters a lot. Sharpness, ed retention. So, you know, check your broadheads, make sure they're sharp. And if, if you shoot once or twice in a target and they're dull, you know, that's probably going to happen when you shoot through an animal too. So I think, Sharp blades that go all the way through, you're going to have, it's, uh, you know, have some respect for the animal here. Let's, let's try and put them down quick, quick, humane kills. And I think that's, that's one thing that um, a lot of people don't realize that would be good to know. 
No, no, definitely for sure. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, let everybody know where they can uh, look at the broadheads, find you on uh, Insta, Google, Tweetface, all that type of stuff. Yeah, our website is um, ironwilloutfitters.com. Our Instagram is uh, at ironwilloutfitters. And uh, yeah, we have a Facebook page too, ironwilloutfitters. They can find us there. Cool, cool, man. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for everything that you're, you know, you're doing. You're one of the guys that's kind of, um, you know, pioneering, I guess you could say, or, or what I would consider one of the newer broadheads that's really saying, I don't care about the price. I want perfection um, and doing anything it takes to to get there, which there's something to be said for that. So, yeah, I appreciate you, everything you're doing. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to, to talking to you soon in person. I'm, I'm glad you got on the phone with me today, but we'll definitely have to uh, uh, shoot the shit again here pretty quickly. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Aaron. All right. Take it easy.